We are moving along in our series in the parables of Jesus. And today we're looking at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you want to grab your Bibles, you'll have the words on the screen, but they're a little smaller today than they're normally going to be. So um, take out your glasses or take out your Bibles. So in this parable, we're going to see two men praying. Both are at a daily worship service. The Pharisee appears to be a man of great faith, but he's an imposter. And the tax collector knows he does not belong in that worship service, and he leaves it transformed. St. Augustine, he described the church as corpus permixtum, which means a mixed body of believers and unbelievers existing side by side. In other words, there could be some of us who think we are Christians, but we are not. And there could be some of us who are looking at the sin that we have in our life, and we say, how in the world could God love me? And if you're saying that and you don't have a good answer, you might not be a Christian either. But you might be ready for a transformation. The question I want to wrestle, wrestle with today is, are you sure you're a Christian? And if you find that you aren't, which I'm sure there are going to be some of you who are here today that aren't Christians, but maybe thought that you were. And I don't have any one person in mind. Please, I'm not talking to you. If you're like, David, did, is it, are, you, are you thinking of me? And all of a sudden, all of your salvation is in question. I'm not thinking of any one of you. I'm just telling you what the text is saying. There's a likelihood that some of us here are pharisaical, which means we thought we were a Christian, but we weren't. And we were basing everything off of how good we are and how hard we're trying. So let's look at the text. It's Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down into his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. First point, approaching God. How should one approach God? God, who crushes sin back into the dust. How do you approach a God who has his bow bent in the arrows of his wrath, long to be drunk on sinful blood? 
How do you approach a God like that? And it's problematic because he is the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. We long for him. We want him. So how do we approach him? And do we have any right? And on what merit do we approach him? In this strange story, the sinful and evil tax collector leaves justified, accepted, and going into the presence of God. In the religious star, this Pharisee is absolutely rejected by God. The Pharisee is the man who followed the law. He went to pray in the temple daily. I mean, this should, this should be sh- a shocking story to us, especially to the hearers. It's, it's mind-boggling. He tithed, fasted. He was devout in his religious pursuits. The Pharisee approached God every single day, and he had no idea that he never actually met with God. He offered up prayers daily that were rejected, and he never knew it. Could that be happening to you without you realizing it? Could your prayers be going out into the abyss? Or maybe you've been questioning for a while if God's actually hearing you. And and your problem might be that you're actually like the Pharisee. And we're going to diagnose what's going on with him. Or maybe you've just decided God isn't hearing you, and so you're done with prayer. It's chilling what's happening to this man. And we should be heeding this as a warning for ourselves because sometimes those don't possess what they profess. So, Pharisee. We're going to dig into this Pharisee. Dig into this guy. Second point. The meaning, if you want to understand the meaning of any parable, what you've got to do is you've got to look at who Jesus is speaking to into the parables. And what it tells us is he's speaking to someone who's trying to justify himself by his good works. He's a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were a group of men who banded together because they wanted to bring religious and spiritual reform around them. The people around them weren't following the law of God. They held the law strictly. These men look like they're doing things right. They would walk into here if you knew them well and you would think these are the ones who are doing it right. They tithed all of their possessions. It wasn't just their money, anything that they received. I mean, they got to the point to where they were looking at seeds that they held in their hands and 10% of those seeds would go to God. Because in Leviticus 27, it says every tithe of the land is the Lord's. They were more theologically accurate than the Sadducees, another religious sect. They weren't producing political extremists like the Zealots. They were committed to practicing their faith in the real world. They opposed pagan idolatry. They were morally upright, and they were rebellious in just the right way with the religious system. They wanted to restore righteousness to the land and godliness to the people. And the name Pharisee means set apart ones. They guarded their purity like a mother bird is guarding her eggs. 
they would separate themselves, isolate themselves for the sake of their purity. That's why they didn't hang around these tax collectors. They didn't want to be affected by them. They didn't want to be polluted by them. They're actually just trying to work out what the Bible says is when it says don't associate with evildoers. We need to be able to sympathize with these guys. Because if we don't, we might actually become one or we might see, not see how we are one. And this is why the story should raise the hair on the back of your neck. What was their downfall? They became impressed with their ability to keep the law. They lost sight of the purpose of the law. The law is meant to be a mirror. So you stand in front of a mirror. What's it do? It's reflecting something back to you. The Bible, the word of God, the law of God, when you look at it, it's supposed to reflect something back to you that makes you drop to your knees and say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. But that didn't happen to them. They weren't being justified by faith. They were being justified by their segregation and their works in their mind. The law was no longer humbling them. In fact, they used the law to exalt themselves. And if that's you, and, and, you know, it's very easy to do. Just, just try this out. Do you compare yourself to others? And when you do, do you feel a little bit better about yourself? That's a Pharisee. You're falling into the trap. And I'm going to tell you, it's really easy to see the bad in others, especially if you're seeking to justify yourself. In fact, you're going to become relentless in this pursuit. All you're going to want to see is all the bad in everybody around you because it makes you do this. Oh, I'm not so bad. Maybe God lo does love me. If you ever read the Bible and start thinking, man, I am awesome. You're probably reading it the wrong way. And so you say, well, David, am I supposed to feel like a little, little tiny crumb? That's too big, my friend. Because what the law of God is meant to do is bring you down to the bottom, as low as you possibly can go to the point to where you have nothing left to do but to cry out for God for mercy. And when you do, he gives you grace and mercy, and you're just filled with it, and it's, it's enlivening you. It's making you come alive. In fact, you're being resurrected from the dead. New life. And then you become as big as the angels of heaven. Paul is in the Bible, is the first serial church planter. And he was the most devout of all the Pharisees, like a Navy SEAL of Navy SEALs, the best of the best of the best. And you know when you meet someone in their pursuits and they just make you look bad? Like they just do everything really well. Their, their career is flourishing. Their spouse is just so happy with them. Their kids are so happy with them. They're... They're, they're doing everything right. They're, they're, they're even eating healthy and going to the gym, and they know the Bible really well, and they lead Bible studies, and they're just so godly. And when you're around them, you just feel so tiny and small. So Paul is talking to some people. He's writing this letter, 
and they're kind of boasting to him. And, and he says, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. Whatever you think you are, he just says it. He says, I'm better. So look at my record compared to yours. And he's coming down on them hard. And then he does something pretty shocking. He cusses at them. Don't say that the Bible won't cuss at you. It will. You just have to read it in the original language. And here's what he does. He takes everything that he has done amazing in his life. He's got this beautiful, amazing record. I mean, it is polished. It's wonderful. It's better than any of us in this room. And then he says, do you know what that record is? He said, do you know what I count it as? I count it as shit. He says it. And if you're mad at me for saying that, the Bible says don't change the word of God. I'm just telling you what it says. And he's doing it on purpose because he wants to make a point. He wants to get our attention. Because he's saying this. If you don't count it as that, your greatest temptation is going to be to take all those wonderful things that you did and say, God, look, don't you love me? Look what I've done, and I did it for you, God. Don't you see? It's all for you. And you're going to bargain with it. And you're going to become nostalgic with all your good things that you've done. Like that old man who was a football star just talking all the time about that. You're going to be like that with God. Like, God, look at all the wonderful things I have done. And when you do that, the fires of judgment are going to be lit against you. And the problem is not that you're doing good things. He loves to see you do good things. The problem is you're taking all of the good things and you're saying, God, don't you love me because of this? And as soon as you do that, you forfeit the work of Christ. The greatest enemy in your life could very well be the very good things that you were doing for the wrong reasons. The greatest enemy in your life could be all of these wonderful things that you are trying to prove should be the reason God should love you and accept you. Throw it where it belongs and flush it. Otherwise, you will be tempted to use it for your justification. Come to God naked, holding nothing. Cry out for mercy, but then do hold one thing. The work of Christ now we're getting to the good stuff, to the goods. This is known as the double blessing or the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. So what's the double blessing? You know all the things that you keep doing wrong, that you can't stop doing? He takes them, and he puts them on his shoulders, and he goes to the cross, and he's punished. So you don't have to be. That's the first blessing. Second blessing, he takes all of the amazing things that he has done, and he says, here, it's yours. So you go before the Father clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You took all the good things you did, and you threw them away. Because you had to if you wanted to take the record of Christ. you got to make a decision in your life. You've got two options. You appear before God holding your record or you appear before God holding Christ's record. And you've got to pick which one you're going to do. 
And you can't do both. Whenever you approach God, do it on the merit of Christ alone. You hold up one good work that you've ever done before God. Hold it up. And you lose Christ. Just like that. He's gone. If you say something like, God, I'm glad I'm not like those tax collectors, those sinners, those murderers, those adulterers, those whatever. You forfeit Christ. And then you find the tip of his sword is held to your throat. It must be. It has to be. He's a just God. You can be saying some of the most beautiful and eloquent prayers. And if you say them, relying on those eloquent prayers, they're gone. The prayers are gone. You'll never measure up with your good works. And if you don't like that I said that, and I know you don't. I mean, there's a part of you that doesn't like it. Like, you, your good works aren't enough. And if you don't like it, it's like you're one of the Pharisees walking on a tightrope over the fires of hell. Okay, so what are some signs that you might be a Pharisee? Do you look down on others who don't believe as you do? Now, look, it's, it's a good thing to believe, Right? But do you look down on others who don't believe as you do? And if so, then why would you do that? Because let's just take a look at what Christianity is. Salvation, a completely free gift. Faith, a completely free gift. And you didn't even want it. Like your hands, your fists were closed. And he had to pry them open to put it in your hands. Arrogance and pride are flashing signs that you're a Pharisee. If you look down on others that don't tithe like you, you might be a Pharisee. We've been talking about this command from God Jesus keeps bringing up, riches. So we've been talking about it the last few weeks, this command to give 10% of your, church, your, your income to the church. It's a good thing. We've been talking about what could happen if every household in the grove did this, it could be the beginning of something amazing. But it, you better be careful if you do, because as soon as you start, you are going to be so tempted to look down on everybody else who isn't tithing and feel like you are above them, like you are better than them. And as soon as you've done that, look at what you've done. You've exalted yourself, and God's going to humble you. It's not that tithing is a bad thing. It's not that doing what God asks of you is a bad thing. It's your heart in it all. Are you doing it with a humble posture or has it exalted you? And if it's exalted you, God's going to humble you. Do you look down on those who don't know the Bible as well as you do? Maybe God has gifted you with the intellect and the knowledge of the Bible. Because that's great. That's a gift. You know what? It, anything that you're doing where you're looking down on somebody else... That's from a place of exaltation. You have lifted yourself up. But the sinner who is so aware that they were at the bottom and has been lifted up by the grace of God, they've got nothing to be prideful about. 
The next question, as Christians, is it arrogant of us to think that we should change the world like these Pharisees are trying to do? Because the Pharisees are trying to do it. They're trying to change the world. Should we not do that? Well, it depends. If you look, the way Pharisees would try to change the world is through guilt and shame and behavior modification. And it works amazingly. But the way God works is very slow. The way the Christian ought to try to change the world is by introducing people to the grace and mercy of Christ. And here's what happens. Somebody meets the God of grace and mercy and it moves them into the presence of God. And guess what? Now you're in the presence of a holy, glorious God who just being around him transforms you. That's how the world has changed. And I'll confess to you that many churches use this pharisaical method to get people to change. And do you know why? Because it works so good. And it's so fast. And it's so easy for a church to look at the people who come in and, and say, you're not measuring up. And they feel like, oh, we got to do something about this. And then they throw the guilt and shame super hard. You're like, huh, this feels horrible. I'm going to change. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the outcast. I got to do what everybody's doing here. I got to fit in. And the next thing you know, you're in a cult or something. Everything is by grace that has true change. And I would tell you, it takes a long time. But once grace has a hold of you, it's like a virus. And it will not stop. When grace has you, it's not letting you go. And you will be changed. But it's a long obedience in the same direction. And, and if you're mad at churches, like, yeah, let's get them mad at the churches. Parents, we do this all the time. You're like, you're looking around at the way your kid's behaving in public, and you're like, well, how, whatever they're doing, it's like it's a reflection on you, and you're like, oh, no, now people are going to think poorly of me. I don't want them to think poorly of me. And so what do you do? Well, you do some really quick behavior modification. There's no grace. There's no mercy. I'm not saying that, you know, like, there needs to be discipline, yes, but in the long run, grace and mercy. What about with your spouse? Man, it's easy to throw that guilt card, that shame card. You're not being the way I want you to be. We're not going to have a conversation about it. I'm just going to say some, like, little manipulative comments to get you to do what I want you to do. And it's going to work. It's going to work really good for you. But it's, it's beginning to sour your marriage. This is what the Pharisees were doing, and it soured their soul. So be careful. But don't make the opposite error of the Pharisee. So let's move to the tax collector. Now, you're saying the tax collector, wasn't he doing it right? Well, no, he wasn't. But then he had this moment of transformation. And we know this because he was a tax collector. Tax collector, here was their job. Here's, here's how they got their job. They would purchase the right of a certain area. And when they purchased that right, they were the tax collector for that area. And they could say the taxes were whatever the amount they wanted it to be. And they would assign that area as having to pay that tax. When they walked to somebody's house, they would give them the money. And then all they had to do was make sure that the government got their fair share. 
They made a lot of money doing this. It was an unjust practice. People who have discovered the grace of God don't do that kind of thing. Up until this point, this tax collector cared nothing about the law of God. See, there's two ways to exalt yourself. If you're a churchgoer, the way to exalt yourself is by being obedient to the law of God and looking like one of the star Christians. Or you can be obedient to the laws of the world. And if you follow those laws, you could become a star in the eyes of the world. Both are an attempt to exalt the self. That's what the tax collector's doing. But now he finds himself in the presence of a holy and glorious God, and he doesn't know anything else to do but to drop to his knees and say, God, have mercy me, a sinner. He's beating his chest. So the point of this story is don't become like the tax collector. Become like the man who's beating his chest. Because this could be the tax collector, this could also be the Pharisee, and this could also be you. What does that mean? And by the way, I want you to see this. I mean, this is, it's so hard to become a Christian. In fact, it's absolutely impossible. Because everybody wants to be exalted. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be cherished. And the question is, how are you going to get it? And nobody in their right mind thinks to make themselves the lowest of the low is what's going to exalt them. The only thing that can do it is the conviction of the Spirit of God upon your heart where you cry out, God, I'm a sinner. What have I done? You're at the mercy of God. Grace changes tax collectors, adulterers, extortioners, and even Pharisees. So the hero in the story, the moral of the story is be someone who beats their chest. And what, okay, what does that mean? This is someone who is mourning over their sin. They're distraught. And you know what? They do feel guilt and shame. That feeling is not a bad feeling. The, the question is where are you going to go with this feeling? Are you going to ignore it? It's not going to work. Are you going to try to do a whole bunch of good stuff so you could, your good things can outweigh your bad things to get the guilt and shame to go away? It's not going to work. So one thing alone is Christ, his beautiful work of what he's done for you and the mercy of the Father. You have one thing when you come into the presence of God to do. It's like, it's like the same thing but different. You drop to your knees, you plead to God for mercy, but you hold up the record of Christ. And as you do that, the Father sees you like he sees his one and only perfect firstborn son. Love, cherishing you. And there's nothing you can do to make it go away. He's relentless in that love. He's approached God, this tax collector, and he's seen there is nothing that merits his ability to come into the presence of God. Not because he, he is an evil tax collector, but because he is a human being. The Bible says none are righteous, no, not even one. 
So how will you be made right with God? The work of Christ and the Father's mercy. The Pharisee, he is at the center of the temple. And he's being praised by all the other Pharisees for how great he is in this offering up this prayer. The tax collector, he's over in the corner. In the center, not of the temple, but in the center of grace and mercy. And he's being praised by the Father. I've talked to too many people who grew up in the church and they have felt guilt and shame from the church and the church never taught them grace and mercy. And they were crushed into hell. And if that is you, you could blame the church if you want. What I would say is just take grace and mercy. Don't wait any longer. Don't be a victim of the church. Be someone who is running in the pleasures of grace and mercy that have been offered to you. Just take it. Don't wait anymore. I've also talked to way too many rule-following Christians who are actually in the heights of hell because they're following the rules to exalt themselves. There's two opposite errors. If you think high of yourself or low of yourself, you're making the same error because you think it's up to you still. If you think high of yourself, you think it's up to you and I've done it. If you think it's up to you and you haven't done it, you're thinking low of yourself. But it's still you and just get the attention off of you. The greatest thing you can do for your life is stop looking at you and look at the beauties of Christ. If you have humbled yourself, but haven't been lifted up by the grace and mercy, that's false humility. If you think highly of yourself by comparing yourself to others, you aren't soaring like you think you are. You are just simply in the heights of hell. Every human needs the work of Christ and the mercy of the Father. And so look deep down into the sorrow of your sin. Feel the weight of it. Feel like you've got nowhere else to go. And then finally cry out to God for mercy and hold up the finished work of Christ. The way up is the way down. That's the pattern of the kingdom because it's the pattern of Christ. Look at what he did. He went down to lift us up. He died. He rose. It's our last point, the only truly righteous one. And he came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Do you know where he finds the unrighteous sinners? At the bottom. So aware of their sin. On the cross, he who knew no sin became sin. And that plunged him to the bottom. And some of you right now, you're not experiencing Christ. And the reason you're not experiencing him is because you haven't hit the bottom yet. You're still hovering around this middle ground where you're like fighting with how you've done good things and how you've done bad things. So you're hanging out here. Just stop thinking about what you've done. 
let your sin drive you to the bottom, and then you're finally going to meet him there. The one who went into death, the one who went into hell, the one who went into the place where you go when you got all this sin on you. And he crushed sin. He demolished it. And he's waiting there to meet you. And when he does, he's going to lift you up in the heights of new hope, new joy, new life, and a new way to be human. He will exalt you. But first, there must be a death of self, a death of pride, and a death of works. When you let it all die, and you take up Christ, you're in the glorious excellencies of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, help us approach you now, bringing nothing but your son. If there's anybody here right now, God, that's holding on to things that it's time for them to let go of these good works. God, I pray that you would help them throw them where they belong. And in doing that, they would experience this joyful embrace of knowing you, the only righteous one who died and rose and searches us out now. God, lift us up. We need you. We're at your mercy. So we're coming to you on our knees. Make us alive like you promised you would. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL. And check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.